2 Samuel chapter 19. Joab was told, The king is weeping and mourning for Absalom, and for the whole army, the victory that day was turned into mourning. Because on that day the troops heard it said, The king is grieving for his son. The men stole into the city that day as men steal in who are ashamed when they flee from battle. The king covered his face and cried aloud, O oh my son Absalom, O oh my son, my son. Then Joab went into the house to the king and said, Today you have humiliated all your men who have just saved your life and the lives of your sons and daughters and the lives of your wives and concubines. You love those who hate you and you hate those who love you. You have made it clear today that the commanders and their men mean nothing to you. I see that you would be pleased if Absalom were alive today and all of us were dead. Now go out and encourage your men. I swear by the Lord that if you don't go out, not a man will be left with you by nightfall. This will be worse for you than all the calamities that have come on you from your youth until now. <laughs> so the king got up and took his seat in the gateway. When the men were told the king is sitting in the gateway, they all came before him. Meanwhile, the Israelites had fled to their homes. Throughout the tribes of Israel, all the people were arguing among themselves, saying, The king delivered us from the hand of our enemies. He is the one who rescued us from the hand of the Philistines. But now he has fled the country to escape from Absalom. And Absalom, whom we appointed to rule over us, has died in battle. So why do you say nothing about bringing the king back? King David sent this message to Zadok and Abiathar the priests. Ask the elders of Judah, why should you be the last to bring the king back to his palace, since what is being said throughout Israel has reached the king at his quarters? You are my relatives, my own flesh and blood, so why should you be the last to bring back the king? And say to Amasa, are you not my own flesh and blood? May God deal with me, be it ever so severely, if you are not the commander of my army for life in the place of Joab. He won over the hearts of the men of Judah, so that they were all of one mind. And they sent word to the king, Return, you and all your men. Then the king returned and went as far as the Jordan. Now the men of Judah had come from Gilgal to go out and meet the king and bring him across the Jordan. Shimei, the son of Gerah, the Benjamite from Bahurim, hurried down with the men of Judah to meet King David. With him were a thousand Benjamites, along with Ziba, the steward of Saul's household, and his 15 sons and 20 servants. They rushed to the Jordan where the king was. They crossed at the ford to take the king's household over and do whatever he wished. When Shimei the son of Gera crossed the Jordan, he fell prostrate before the king and said to him, May my lord not hold me guilty. Do not remember how your servant did wrong on the day my lord the king left Jerusalem. May the king put it out of his mind, for I your servant know that I have sinned. But today I have come here as the first from the tribes of Joseph to come down and meet my lord the king. <laughs> then Abishai the son of Zeruiah said, Shouldn't Shimei be put to death for this? He cursed the Lord's anointed. David replied, What does this have to do with you, you sons of Zeruiah? What right do you have to interfere? Should anyone be put to death in Israel today? Don't I know that today I am king over Israel? So the king said to Shimei, you shall not die. And the king promised him on oath. Mephibosheth, 
Saul's grandson also went down to meet the king. He had not taken care of his feet or trimmed his moustache or washed his clothes from the day the king left until the day he returned safely. When he came from Jerusalem to meet the king, the king asked him, Why didn't you go with me, Mephibosheth? He said, My lord the king, since I, your servant, am lame, I said, I will have my donkey saddled and will ride on it so I can go with the king. But Zeba, my servant, betrayed me, and he has slandered your servant to my lord the king. My lord the king is like an angel of God, so do whatever you wish. All my grandfather's descendants deserve nothing but death from my lord the king, but you gave your servant a place among those who eat at your table, so what right do I have to make any more appeals to the king? The king said to him, Why say more? I order you and Zeba to divide the land. Mephibosheth said to the king, Let him take everything, now that my lord the king has returned home safely. Barzillai the Gileadite also came down from Rogelim to cross the Jordan with the king and send him on his way from there. Now Barzillai was very old, 80 years of age. He had provided for the king during his stay in Mahanaim, for he was a very wealthy man. The king said to Barzillai, Cross over with me and stay with me in Jerusalem and I will provide for you. But Barzillai answered the king, How many more years will I live, that I should go up to Jerusalem with the king? I am now eighty years old. Can I tell the difference between what is enjoyable and what is not? Can your servant taste what he eats and drinks? Can I still hear the voices of male and female singers? Why should your servant be an added burden to my lord the king? Your servant will cross over the Jordan with the king for a short distance, but why should the king reward me in this way? Let your servant return, that I may die in my own town, near the tomb of my father and mother. But here is your servant Kimham. Let him cross over with my lord the king. Do for him whatever you wish. The king said, Kimham shall cross over with me, and I will do for him whatever you wish. Anything you desire for me, I will do for you. So all the people crossed the Jordan, and then the king crossed over. The king kissed Barzillai and bid him farewell, and Barzillai returned to his home. When the king crossed over to Gilgal, Kimham crossed over with him. All the troops of Judah and half the troops of Israel had taken the king over. Soon, all the men of Israel were coming to the king and saying to him, Why did our brothers, the men of Judah, steal the king away and bring him and his household across the Jordan, together with all his men? All the men of Judah answered the men of Israel, We did this because the king is closely related to us. Why are you angry about it? Have we eaten any of the king's provisions? Have we taken anything for ourselves? Then the men of Israel answered the men of Judah, We have ten shares in the king, so we have a greater claim on David than you. Why then do you treat us with contempt? Weren't we the first to speak of bringing back the king? But the men of Judah pressed their claims even more forcefully than the men of Israel. So an interesting chapter, like always. <laughs> and uh, the battle's over. Absalom has killed. The, you kill the leader of a battle in ancient times and the battle's over. And uh, so all the tribes of Israel, the ten, they immediately flee to their homes because, you know, they're not going to, they want to be on the winning side. They don't want to be caught resisting in case anything bad happens to them. And David, of course, is a very kind king and he doesn't put people to death uh, in the aftermath. And um, so he weeps for Absalom 
his son, which is completely natural. Even though his son was an enemy, his son was still his son. And the Lord weeps also for people who are the enemies of the Lord. But the difference between the Lord and King David was the Lord, even though he, he wept and he weeps for people, he still presses on with what he has to do. Whereas the, the, the sadness was almost immobilizing for David. And so he needed this rebuke from Joab in this chapter. He said, uh, <laughs> you know, is this how you treat the people who've saved your life today and saved the life of your family? And so once David hears that, he, you know, he, he kicks in the gear and he does what he has to do despite feeling sad. And so then the, the tribes, Israel and Judah, they agree to bring him back to Jerusalem, bring him across the Jordan. Now, it's, it's a process coming back across the Jordan. It's... Depending on the time of the year, the Jordan is either a little stream or a mighty river. And when the Israelites first crossed over the Jordan, it was a mighty river. This was way back in the book of Joshua. And you'll remember that the Jordan dried up. And that was an incredible miracle. And you can go back to, to Joshua, the first few chapters of that, and see what we had to say about that. And, um, and I presume that we're talking a similar thing here. We're talking a, a process to bring him across the Jordan because they keep talking about this. You know, the tribes were even arguing about, weren't we the ones that should have brought him across the Jordan? So, it, it, you know, and all the men with him, um, one of the commentators suggested that they had little boats that they would row across, get them, row back. There was a process here in bringing them across the Jordan and they did it. They wanted the king to know, we all are welcoming you back. <laughs> Everyone wants to be on the king's side, the good side. And it said that Shimei um, rushed to meet him. Now, if you remember about three, four chapters ago, Shimei was the, was the man that when David was fleeing from Jerusalem, he ran alongside on, a, on an adjacent hill. So David must have been going down a hill with a big valley in between, and Shimei was on this adjacent hill throwing rocks and mud and dirt and calling out curses at David. And on that hill, one of David's men, Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, said, let me go chop his head off. David said, no, this could be from the Lord. We don't want to go against the Lord. Anyway, now they're coming back. Absalom's defeated and Shimei races to meet him. <laughs> if Shimei had gone the other way, he would definitely have, you know, in this ancient times, he would probably have died. He'd have been punished for his sin. But now he races to David, throws himself on the ground and says, my Lord, forgive me for I have sinned, he says. You'll remember I've previously talked in, in 1 Samuel 11, it's 1 Samuel 12, about all the people in the Bible who said, I have sinned. And Shimei is one of them. David was another. Pharaoh was another. Judas is one. Achan is another. And there's only one of all them that truly is repentant, and that's David in 1 Samuel chapter 12. But Shimei here does a great job of repenting. <laughs> uh, but he's not truly repentant. What's happened here is that he's realized he's going to die. He's realized he's got to get in David's good books, so he's doing this purely out of self-interest. Whereas David, when he repents, now he, he realizes he's got to repent too, but when you read his prayer in Psalm 51, you realize it's a true repentance. He, he's thinking about it from God's point of view and saying, Lord, I've done the wrong thing by you. And Lord, make me like you. So it's, it's a real prayer of not just avoiding the consequences, but a real prayer to change. He wants to be different. Shimei wants to avoid the consequences, but none of the other stuff is there. 
And um, so he repents to David, and David, who's a picture of Jesus Christ, uh, he forgives him. But Abishai wants to kill him again, right then and there on the spot. And David says, you know, you know, this is a day where people are being, you know, this is a day where the kingdom is being restored. Is this a day to go around killing people? And David's really smart. He knows that by being merciful to people in Israel, he wins them all over to his side. And he, this is one of the great things about David. He's, he's always merciful, um, except in war. Um, he's, he's a great warrior, but the war's over and he's merciful to people. He doesn't just go around and kill, and kill people just because they're his enemies. And Christ is like this too. Christ doesn't just go around killing people because they're his enemies. He tries to win them over. So you and I, well, the first question I want to ask is about forgiveness. It's a question for you. We're told in the New Testament that we should forgive people. Um, and so let's say you're approached by a shimmy-like character, someone like the man in this chapter, shimmy, and you know he's not sincere. <laughs> let's say you know that he, he just wants to avoid the consequences. Are you going to forgive him? Well, it could very well be that the person who's not sincere is someone you're married to. <laughs> and they're saying, sorry, because they didn't like what, what unfolded and they want to, to just fix the problem, but um, they themselves still have the same opinion. Well, are you going to forgive them? <laughs> what do you think Jesus would do? Well, I'll tell you what Jesus does do. He forgives. He has done it so many times. He has forgiven people so often when they weren't sincere. Because, just think about it. How many times have you gone to the Lord and asked the Lord to forgive you and you weren't 100% sincere? Probably heaps. And this it's because it's a journey we're on. And God knows to be patient with you and patient with me because he knows he's wanting to win you over. He's wanting to see you change. He wants you to have a revelation of his grace so that your heart can change. And that's what we have a picture of here. It's David being merciful to someone who doesn't deserve it because it's a picture of Christ being merciful to us when we don't deserve it. So um, there you go. Now Absalom is not there anymore. He's dead. But you can see that the seeds of his rebellion are still there. And you're gonna see that in the chapter that comes ahead there's another rebellion, another troublemaker called Sheba, the son of Bichri. But even here, there's arguing between the 10 tribes of Israel and the one tribe of Judah. There's an argument. And it's a little bit like, you know, some of you might have seen, uh, there's certain weeds you can have in your garden. And when you pull them when they're little, they're fine. But if you leave them too long, they get big and they go to seed and there's seeds. And those seeds blow everywhere. And if you don't watch out, next thing you have thousands of those weeds in your garden. Well, that's a little bit like this. The Absalom problem might be over. They might have pulled out the one big weed, but it's gone to seed before they did that. And now there's bitterness and arguing, and all this is all through the kingdom. And it's going to result in the kingdom being split in two kings from now. Not in the time of Solomon, when things are peaceful, but in the king after Solomon, the kingdom's going to split. But it all goes back to this moment right here, when everything went to seed. I wanted to quickly talk to you about, very briefly, about bad attitudes. Because what we've got here is a bad attitude corporately. We've got something that was sown by Absalom 
the, the, the idea of rebellion, the idea of not submitting to your leader, the idea of being displeased with your, your leader, the idea of wanting what you want rather than serving, that idea was in Absalom, it's a bad attitude, and it was sowed into the kingdom, and now that Absalom's dead, it's, the problem hasn't gone away because it's born fruit. It's, repl- it's replicated, it's reproduced. And our bad attitudes are very hard to shift. They're very easy to spread, but they're very hard to get rid of. There's a story that I can never forget with one of my children who must have been arguing with one of his brothers or something like that. And uh, I was talking to him about this and um, everything I said to him, he said the opposite. And um, eventually I said to him, I said, look, your bad attitude, I said, you have a bad attitude right now and it's causing you to be disagreeable and it's messing everything up. And I said, you need to get rid of this bad attitude. Um, And you know what he said? He said, I want to, but I can't. Now, right there is a picture of, of what I'm talking about. There are things that get into the lives of individuals and there are things that get into their lives but they get sewn into a broader area, like into a group or into a community. They're bad attitudes and they're nearly impossible to get rid of. There's only one way you can get rid of them, through the mercy of God, through the grace of God. You've got to cry out and ask for help. You've got to take those attitudes to the foot of the cross and you've got to say to the Lord, I want this thing to be gone, help. And in that state of mind and in that place of prayer, you'll find help. Heavenly Father, we ask that your your mercy would be extended to us. All of us, Lord, have attitudes that are ungodly. All of us struggle with rebellion in some ways. Lord, all of us have the sin of Absalom in our hearts. And uh, Lord, I ask you to help us to let go of the things we know we should let go of. Some of them we don't want to let go of. Lord, give us grace and mercy today. In Jesus' name, amen.